G'day and welcome to the Detour podcast. Uh, today's special guest uh, is Amanda Spratt, the pocket rocket. Uh, Amanda's our highest ranked woman cyclist uh, from the Blue Mountains of New South Wales. She first raced in the elite level as a junior back in 2004, so that's going to give you a little uh, snippet into, uh, into how old she is. Um, and she's been pro- a professional for just on a decade. Uh, Amanda, good morning in uh, sunny Italy. Good morning, John. Nice to be here. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you're about to head off today. So when we finish this podcast, which is uh, we'll blame Dan Jones, the producer, we're five minutes late starting, but um, uh, you're heading off versus straight away to head to Spain for your first bike race in quite a while. So uh, you must be nervous. <clears throat> Yeah, I think like nervous, excited. Um, I tried to pack my suitcase last night and realised that I have no idea what to pack anymore. It feels, I think it's been almost six months since I've had to pretty much move anywhere or, or go to a race. So it feels really strange, but I'm sure once we're there, it's going to feel normal as well. But definitely just excited. Like it's been the longest period I think I've been in one place since I was probably at school. So I've just been training, training, training and finally ready to be back with the team and racing. That's what I love to do. Yeah. So you're up in northern Italy. What's the what's the weather been like just of late? Yeah, so I was in um like in Lavigno for training at altitude. So the temperature there was yeah sort of mid 20 mid 20s but it's definitely been creeping up in the in the last period as yeah we're getting into the 30s now and I just checked the weather we're going to Pamplona is the first two races uh, in the Basque country and then closer to Bilbao and I think it's going to be sort of 34 35 so definitely hitting summer now. So Pamplona, you're not uh, chasing or running from any bulls or anything? Uh, I hope not. I feel like I'd come (laughs) off worse in that one. (laughs) (laughs) So what are the races you're heading down there for? Uh, so there's three races. So there's, um, it's called the Navarra Women's Elite Classics. So there's two of those on Thursday, Friday, and then Durango One Day Race on um, Sunday. So they're not World Tour races. Our World Tour calendar starts with Strada Bianca on August 1st, but um, it's going to be a World Tour field almost. I think uh, seven of the eight World Tour teams are going to be on the start line. Everyone's just itching to sort of get a race in before we start the World Tour again. So it's going to be a really quality field and it's just going to be so interesting to see how everyone's going after such a long period off. Yeah, look, everyone's waiting with bated breath, as they say, uh, <laughs> back here in Australia as well because, of course, we haven't mm. had any, any racing either with our challenges especially if you're from down Victoria, where I am. We've become the Mexicans uh, of Australia. Luckily, yes. I'm out of, out of Mexico. I'm in Geelong, so I had to travel. I'm, uh, this weekend, oh. I'm up at uh, Lakes Entrance, yeah. uh, which is uh, a lovely spot, but I had to drive through Mexico uh, to get to Lakes Entrance, <laughs> but got through okay, got through. Oh, gosh, but, uh, yeah. Now, I'm going to introduce our, our sponsors because uh, without them, there's no show, and they're great sponsors, and they're all three of them have uh, connect, got some connection with you, so that's interesting. So, uh, first of all, we've got Bike Exchange, uh, who are you know the world marketplace for for, for uh, bikes. They have been a wonderful partner of cycling. They've been a sponsor of your women's team. I've uh, mm-hmm. seen you guys racing with uh, Bike Exchange on, on your jerseys. Um, and, and we say, if you if, do your research, uh, 
read up the latest on the 2020 uh, bike or tech releases uh, and browse the Bike Exchange blog. They are you know, the world marketplace for bikes, a great uh, um, sponsor. And I'm sure you've got plenty of friends who have jumped on, bought bikes through Bike Exchange, especially at the moment when it's hard to get a bike in a bike shop in Australia uh, because uh, there's a shortage. Yeah, exactly. And it's such an easy way to jump on and search and it's, yeah, it's worldwide. So you can see what's, what's near you and what's affordable. And yeah, it's a super way to be able to get hold of a bike. Yeah, in eight countries around the world. And of course, uh, let's go motorhomes. So um, the uh, get out and explore your backyard. Uh, hire a let's go motorhome or camp van for your next great escape uh, and take your bikes along for the adventure. Um, also, now Andrew at Let's Go asked me to ask you a question. If you had a Let's Go motorhome, so there might be someone in the offer, I don't know, in the offing. <laughs> Maybe. But, uh, <laughs> where would you go with a Let's Go motorhome? Uh, I think I probably should say through the Blue Mountains where I'm from, but I think um, I have this like a bucket list wish, I think, is to have a, a motorhome, let's go motorhome and to travel around Australia. But for sure, I'd love to just travel the whole way up the East Coast from bottom to top with a motorhome. That would be my ideal. But it is like when I retire, it would be a bucket list thing to to just travel around Australia for three, six months, however long, long it takes and just explore our beautiful country. Well, I mean, I'm... I'm by the fact that you had your first race back in 2004 shows you've been racing for a long while, is retirement, and I'm not pushing you to this because your form is just being <laughs> better and better over the last few years and you're in the form of your life. So I'm not sure. But is it something that you uh, have set a date for or anything? No, nah, there's no, no date or anything set on that. I think at the moment I'm still loving racing and training and I think, yeah, I am just getting better and better and better. So for me there's no... No eyes on retirement at the moment. I think, yeah, when the time comes, I'll probably know it, but it'll still be a hard decision, I think. I mean, as you said, I've been racing forever. I've been on my bike since nine years old racing, actually. So it'll be a really hard decision when the time comes. But at the moment, I think I'm just getting better and better and, and really enjoying it. So no sign of retirement yet. <laughs> and our other sponsor is Lexus of Blackburn, who you do know very well. They've uh, been great sponsors mm. of, of cycling, and uh, and you personally. They so say they always uh, help you out with a, a lovely Lexus when you're when you're down in Melbourne for the in, in the summer series. But the uh, the more family, Andrew, Sarah, Bethany, and Tim, uh, you've met them all, of course, and they're they're wonderful partners in all of our cycling. Yeah, yeah, I'm really grateful for the support of Andrew at Lexus and, yeah, the whole company. And I think, yeah, they're really also supporting women's cycling as well with the Sun Tour and the Bay Crits. So I think, yeah, the investment and the support they're showing for women's cycling um, makes me pretty proud as well. So when you do hit that bucket list thing and, and retire, I, I guess a nice, rather than a uh, Let's Go Motorhome, maybe a Jayco Caravan hooked onto a really uh, nice new Lexus uh, uh, from Blackburn would be the perfect uh, option. Yep, I'll keep, I'll let, um, <laughs> you can, you can organise that for me and that'd be great. <laughs> that'd be the dream. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I want to do that myself and I, I think I'll be doing it long before you. Uh, I'll, I'll be running out of years, but uh so, look, I thought we'll get to, uh, straight into it. It's fantastic to have you on board. Um, you've been 
uh, a great supporter of my Bay Classic over the years. How, how many years have you done? You've only missed one, I think, in the last 10 years. Yeah, I was trying to work this out. I'm, I think I've missed one uh, because I was injured, so I actually couldn't couldn't be there. But apart from that, I think I've yeah. done every every single year since uh, 2000 and is it either 2003 or 2004 or Wow. I'm, not, I'm not sure. So I think it's about fif- wow. 15 or 16 now. But uh, yeah. I love it. Such a good way to start with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, only, I haven't missed any in that time. But anyways, <laughs> so um, obviously 2020 has been a, a, a strange year. How have you handled the the, the season hiatus so far? Um, <clears throat> it's been a challenge, yeah. I think... In the start, like we, we came to Europe and then we were training and there were sort of murmurs of races getting cancelled and and then the first couple were cancelled and it was like, okay, um, you know, it'll be a few weeks before we're racing again and you sort of looked ahead and my firm focus was on the Ardennes. So that period wasn't, wasn't too hard and then, you know, our team was one of the first actually to say that we, even if the race is on, we're not going to go, we're going to prioritise your health. So actually I'm really grateful that our team was was quite quick in making that decision um so you knew there was going to be a period of no racing but then everything just started getting cancelled and then obviously you know the pandemic just escalated and it was you realized quite quickly that it was a really serious situation cycling aside it's it's a really serious health situation so I think most of the concern was around yeah loved ones and just yeah trying to be responsible and do what we can to get this under control Um, but yeah, obviously, like the training motivation in the beginning went really down. Um, Jean, my coach, gave me five or six days off. I just went out training and sort of felt, what's the purpose of even training? <laughs> I don't have any goals now. Uh, yeah, and I think most athletes would have found themselves in that position. But I'd say like over the last couple of months since the UCI calendar came out and we knew, okay, we're going to be racing soon, then you sort of had something to to look towards again and something to look forward to. So I think the last couple of months in particular has been a lot easier. So the area you're in, in Northern Italy, um, it was uh, hit very badly in the early days of the pandemic. Um, That must have been scary. Yeah, so I was in, um, it was right before Strada, I think it was, so I was in Northern Italy and then, yeah, I made a decision to come to Switzerland where I also have a base here with my partner. So, um, I was in Switzerland for most of the time when there was actually the lockdown, um, which was yeah fortunate for my training. I could still go outside, but um, certainly like yeah, it was it was quite scary just hearing from people who were in Italy and the lockdowns that were happening, and certainly the death toll just kept rising. And I think yeah, it was a really hard time for everyone. And I think yeah, if someone told you at the beginning of the year that this is how 2020 was going to play out, it just would have seemed crazy. But um. Yeah, I mean, I think in the end, uh, yeah, I think the lockdown was really hard for everyone, but I think now everyone's come out of it with a new appreciation, that's for sure, for being able to be outside and and still acting really responsibly as well. So uh, have you picked up any new skills in uh, your period of lockdown? I know a lot of the cyclists have taken up bread making. So what have you, what's your new skill? Uh, I'm not sure if doing puzzles is a new skill. <laughs> I, yeah, I was following the sort of sourdough bread making. I did think about getting a starter and then quickly threw that out the window. But I was enjoying just cooking and using my oven a lot. I really love cooking with an oven. And then I went to Altitude in Lavinia and didn't have an oven, so that was a bit sad. But, um, yeah, I can't say there weren't too many 
new skills but yeah I was I have now have a very handy collection of 1000 piece puzzles that I completed at a at a past date so I don't know what I'm actually going to do with all of them but yeah that was my <laughs> little my little hobby during the time um but has this break made you reevaluate uh what's important to you um and change your perspective on uh, on anything yeah i think it's just yeah obviously like cycling is my job and cycling is my life but um you also realize that yeah <laughs> when something like this happens you realize that there are other things that, like i think you know it but it also makes you realize what's also important and you think about you know i spend you know 10 months of the year over in europe and my family are all in australia and certainly once like australia put the the travel bans in place and it's really hard i think now almost impossible to get back to australia on an economy class ticket so you sort of realize how far away you are at times and, and some of your support network is there. So that's sort of been hard at times and, and wondering how they're going and, and wanting to support. So, um, yeah, I think it's just made me made me realise, yeah, that a bit more as well. It's going to be uh, – I'll slot this one in now because you brought it up. Um, getting back this summer is not going to be easy. I know I talk to Stewie all the time about how, um, you know, because the Tour Down Under is the first – big race that he'll be working his first two and under uh, mm. he's pretty confident that they'll be able to charter flights and all that but you guys need to get back before that for even more important races like the bay crits uh <laughs> and uh and and the nationals of course which is very important to you you're a defending champ so um how do you think that's all going to pan out yeah that's a tricky one i think at the moment it feels like um the like the rules and restrictions and everything are changing so often it's really hard to say right now how it's going to go um at the moment it's virtually impossible i think for us to get back on an economy class with the numbers that they're letting into australia each day it's essentially business or first class that are taking up the quota so we're hopeful i mean there's a few months between when we'll be wanting to get back to australia but it looks like probably the hotel quarantine will still be in place so we'll have a nice little two-week um yeah. holiday upon arrival in a hotel which yeah which is necessary um uh yeah but hopefully that can all go smoothly and we can be there for the aussie summer and yeah hopefully everything's improving by them and the aussie summer can also happen yes let's hope we've all, all got our fingers and toes crossed on that one um do, do you feel the crisis uh that through that you see more strength and resilience uh, coming uh, to the front from, from, you know, the teammates and friends? Yeah, I think you do. I think, like I said before, I think if someone told you at the beginning of this year that this is how it was going to happen, you would have just thought they were crazy. But um, I think, yeah, I look at my teammates like we were pretty lucky in the women's team that most of us were not in countries or places where we actually had to be in the full lockdown. Um, the only rider we had was Jess Allen. She was in Girona in Spain and... For me, I felt inspired by her. Like I tried to keep in touch with her quite often and, and we chatted quite a few times and every time I kept thinking, oh, she's going to be, you know, hating the world and, uh, you know, it's just going to be too much. And every time, yeah, she's just bubbly and happy like always. And, I mean, I know she would have had her bad days, but I think, yeah, I drew a lot of inspiration um, when I was feeling, you know, a bit down about things from people like Jess who were in lockdown and still just making the most of it. So, yeah, for me, that showed a real sense of resilience and, and being able just to cope with the situation. So how has that bond between uh, you and your teammates uh, uh, gone through that period? 
That's been good, actually. We've um, yeah, early in the piece we had a few more like Zoom, Zoom catch up, coffee, whatever you want to call it, meetings, just just yeah. talking, talking shit with each other. And as the races come closer, we've started to have more, I guess, sort of team meetings with our DSs, Alejandro and Martin as well. Um, but yeah, we also have like a WhatsApp group with the entire team on it, which has been great. There's been certainly in the early days when it was quite hard, there was just a lot of jokes on there and just funny things that, that make you laugh. Like they're not always a lot of serious talk. I think, you know, we also have a lot of fun off the bike. So it was just fun to get stuff like that and just, just have a good laugh in a, what is actually a really serious time. So I think I had this question further down, but you've led to it there. Um, who are the real jokers uh, in the team? Um, I think Roy, from Sarah Roy. She's probably the one that makes me laugh the most. It's just, yeah, she has some pretty ridiculous stories and can tell you about how she ate an omelette and have you laughing. Yeah. So it seems like a normal story. I think if I told the same story, you just stare blankly at me. But when she tells it, you can't help but, help but smile and... Yeah, certainly Jess. I mean, I had a message from Jess yesterday. She went and tried to do a five-hour ride, which ended up being seven hours. And I don't know, she was basically in the middle of nowhere and, and lost and somehow got home and yeah, we're all just laughing about it. So I think, yeah, between those two, it's always always a good time in, in the team and you always find yourself laughing. <laughs> so there's been uh, a lot of focus uh, on mental health in recent times. Uh, it's coming before <laughs> I know of of three young, um, same year as my young grandson at school, three, three young, young this man, 17 who committed suicide in, in this year, which is absolutely mm, unbelievable. It is. And um, how do you feel, um, but with, with cycling, with being this time in lockdown, how, how are people seem to handle that extra pressure? Uh, I think in general, good. Like, yeah, like I said before, I know for sure people were having were having bad days. Uh, I think with our team, they really prioritised the mental health and, and, you know, offered that support from, from the very start and also were checking in on people to, to make sure everything's going okay, particularly the people who were really in that lockdown. But I think, yeah, it wasn't an easy situation for anyone. And I think, you know, some people have partners or, you know, they're in lockdown with those people, but there are other people that were by themselves essentially for, for I don't know how long the lockdown was in the end, eight, ten weeks, just just with their own company mm-hmm. almost. So I think mm-hmm. they were the people that were sort of causing the most worry. But I, I think for the most part, I think everyone managed to get through it pretty well. So, um, of course, now that there's a goal and some racing, that's going to help everyone, of course. Um, now, a lot of the training and racing you've been doing has been online. Um, and uh, how have you found Swift? I hear you're becoming uh, addicted. <laughs> I know. Well, I didn't. Yeah, like I've been supported by Swift for a while, but I hadn't really gotten into it yet. And then obviously with the lockdown and, and like I said, I wasn't actually in a country where I was required to stay inside, but I found myself getting on Swift and then doing a few more Swift rides and then all of a sudden I was riding on Swift when it was sunny outside, <laughs> questioning myself, just thinking I'm totally crazy. And, yeah, during the lockdown we also had a, a team ride every week, just so just with the team. So we had, like, the staff on there, some of the riders came on. So for me I, it surprised me actually the social aspect of Zwift and it was just really a way to feel connected when everyone's all in different places and you can 
all just yeah get on there and try to smash your coach or your ds and or try to keep up with the guys it was just a really fun way to stay connected i think and i did my i've done one race now on swift and it was a one for scott sports a multi-discipline race with the triathletes mountain bikers and and road riders and i, I swear i think it's the hardest race i've ever done it was harder than any <laughs> world really? race but yeah. uh, it's i mean it's it's a short race it was 30 minutes but it was just yeah we all said okay we'll have a neutral lap and then we started and it definitely wasn't neutral everyone was just <laughs> so all this like competitive energy just built up over so much time and then we were finally allowed to unleash it and oh gosh i think i'm still recovering now um the olympics with, with uh, i know they're, they're very important to you and uh um the season's about to start the olympics have been moved to to next year uh what are your thoughts on that uh, I think it's the right decision. It's definitely the, a good decision. Um, yeah, I think there's no way it could have been held this year with the current world health um, situation. It's just not possible. I think, yeah, the, the only decision was to move it to next year and I'm really hopeful that by that point we can have a vaccine and that it will be safe to hold the Games. Um, and I think once the decision was made, it was uh, more a sense of relief. Okay, like we know for sure now that... It's going to be next year, not this year. And, yeah, whilst it was disappointing, like obviously all the preparation and the eyes were on this year, I think, yeah, it's just nice that we still have it. It hasn't been cancelled entirely. They've postponed it. So it's next year and that's what that's what I can go and train towards now. So um, what makes the Olympics so special for you? Uh, I think, yeah, as a, as, a young, as a young girl, you always – dreamt or watched the Olympics on TV and you always dreamt of maybe one day being able to to go there and compete. I think it's the ultimate goal as an athlete to be able to get there and certainly as a young kid growing up, everyone's talking about the Olympics. Uh, you meet an Olympic athlete and it was like, you know, uh, wow, your dream came true. So I think, yeah, in Australia, the Olympics are really seen as something really important. So you grow up with that feeling already. And then it's just a chance. Any chance I have to wear the green and golden is, is an amazing opportunity. And, yeah, I'm, I'm so proud that I've been to two already and hopefully I can make it three uh, next year. But it's just, I think, yeah, the fact that you have all sports coming together and everyone has this sort of same goal um, to win Olympic gold for their country and it's just sort of this intense but really cool atmosphere to be involved with. Who's the most famous person that you've bumped into at the at the Olympics? Gosh, it's like a hard one. I, <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of like the most famous athletes they don't end up staying in the village because they yeah they'll just get yeah people asking them for autographs all the time. Um, I remember in London, I think the Prince. The, yeah, Prince William, I think, was there, and that was a bit like not at all a royal family. <laughs> but, yeah, this was still felt a bit like, oh, my gosh. But um, for the most part, it's just amazing to see all the different athletes mm. from all different sports. And I'm, I'm not a very tall person, so I normally feel like a complete uh, small. Like It's almost funny to try and get photos or see yourself next to like a basketball <laughs> or something and just be amazed that they're literally like twice your size. It's just incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I was lucky enough to go to a Games back in 72 and everyone stayed in the village then. You weren't allowed to go out and stay outside. So uh, I, I found it fantastic. And the, and the uh, atmosphere in the 
in in the village at breakfast when everyone's you know bumping each other out of the way i found really brilliant yeah it's incredible isn't it in the dining hall with all different sports and it's like a the size of a football field almost or more than that for just the dining hall <laughs> yeah exactly um and the, i suppose the olympics and the world championships uh, are very different in that you're racing at the top level of your sport but you're not racing with your normal teammates you're racing as a national team and it's a very different scenario yeah it's definitely really strange and i think you know i'm teammates with anamik van fluten the current world champion so a lot of the time in races we're working off each other and trying to get the best result or you know, I'm really working hard for her to get the result. And then all of a sudden we swap over to the world championships for, for one race, essentially one race in an entire season where uh, competitors, not, not teammates. So that could be a bit strange. Um, you, you kind of think it goes both ways. Like I do think I know more about the way, for example, that she might operate. Um, and on the other hand, she probably thinks she knows more about me. So it does have a, its advantages. But um, yeah, it's certainly a strange feeling. But I do love it. I love the fact that um, then you can all come together as an Australian team and all the Aussies from all the different trade teams come together. And it almost feels a bit like coming home as well. And it just has that really nice feeling all of a sudden to be just with, with your Australian teammates. So in the World Championships, the last two editions, you have rode brilliantly with the second and third placings. But you must get a, do you get a bit conflicted? When uh, Anamik went so early last year and then the strongest rides to Jason were her teammates, uh, aside from you guys, you, were you conflicted at all knowing you know, he, she could stay away that long, even though it was ridiculously early? <laughs> um. Yeah, I know Anamik pretty well and I know that she's up for doing crazy things like that. And I did have a very uh, uh, good feeling that this is exactly what she was going to do in Yorkshire because, I mean, the Finnish circuit probably wasn't going to be hard enough for her to make a real difference like what she did on that climb. So it definitely wasn't unexpected. Uh, and then, yeah, I found myself in that group of, I think, eight of us that, that were chasing and we were holding the gap for a long time there and I actually still didn't think it was game over at that point I was still confident um that if we kept it you know less than a minute heading into the, the finish circuit so there still was that chance to jump across or or form a group that could get across to her uh um but then I think people started to panic I think we were almost still 20ks from the final circuits and there were attacks happening and at that point that's when all you know cooperation out of our group went away and that's when her gap really went out but um yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, she had an incredible ride that day and, and came away a deserving champion. I think, yeah, crazy tactics, but it certainly worked for her. And if anyone yeah. can pull it off, it's her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pro probably the best world title uh, win I've seen, man or, or, or woman. I thought it was just amazing. Yeah. 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 But uh, your development <clears throat> over the last 10 years, you've come from a really good team rider in there doing the hard work. It's virtually a super domestique. A, a few years back to, to the stage where now you're um, one of the superstars of our sport, you know, the third and second in the world titles, but some great, great wins. Um, what you, what's been the key to that uh, success? Um, thanks. Yeah, I think just having that consistency over a number of years now. Um, yeah, I've been with Mitchelton Scott since it started in 2012, so I have had nine or one year before that with the national team, uh, sort of 10 years now of really solid racing in Europe um, and just getting older and getting that strength and that endurance. And I think, yeah, working with my coach, Gene Bates, now for quite a number of years has been another really big factor in just giving me that continuity. And he's a coach that's always 
really challenging me and it's not always the same training it's it's mentally stimulating and physically stimulating and yeah this makes me really excited to to train every day so I really enjoy working with him and I think that's been a big factor in in the last few years is just really um yeah nailing that relationship and that's yeah been really really challenging and and really fun at the same time so I think that's really helped me grow as a writer and aside from that I think it's just yeah, just, just getting older and more experienced and more calm in the races. And I think along with that, it's just been becoming a lot more confident in myself and confident in my ability and what I can do as well on the bike. Um, and, yeah, learning from some great teammates like my teammate, Anamik. So, We've roomed together a lot, so learning from her. and So a few years back, you did have a major uh, challenge with uh, injury and you missed a, a fair bit of the year. What year was that? Yeah, so 2008 and nine. Yeah. So take us through that because I, I've had people say to me they were as impressed from what you did in your rehab as anything you've done in all your racing career. The way you just knuckled down, teammates away overseas, you were stuck in Australia having to do that rehab, uh, the AIS and all of that. Take us through that. Yeah, so this was a really probably the most difficult period in, in my life really, I think, uh, certainly in my cycling career. So... Uh, in 2008 and 2009, essentially, I wasn't I wasn't racing. I started at the beginning of 2008 racing and then and then stopped. So I'd had sort of a nerve injury or a nerve problem for a few years that was undiagnosed, or I was just too young and too scared really to say anything. So by the time that I did, it was a lot worse than what it should have been. So in 2008, I was diagnosed with piriformis syndrome. Uh, so my nerve wasn't going through the muscle; it was just attached to it from chronic scar tissue from the pain that I was just going through all the time and eventually just attached and I basically had yeah really bad I couldn't feel my leg I was it got to the point where I was on a ditch on the side of the road in France and I couldn't ride literally couldn't turn another pedal stroke and at that point they sent me back to Australia to the Australian Institute of Sport and uh, essentially I lived there for over a year I had surgery and then rehabbed living in Canberra with an amazing team like Greg Lovell, Dr. Craig Purd and Physio. Yeah, I just had an amazing group around me that were really supporting me to get back. But, um, yeah, I mean, it started I could do five minutes again on the bike and, and slowly I could start to do a bit more riding. But I think in the end I had over six months where I couldn't be on a bike but I was trying to do all different things where I wasn't, yeah, sitting I guess was the, the real big issue. And I also lost so much muscle so it was just trying to get that back and, I got to the point where I could ride again, but every time I rode, I still had this really, really bad chronic pain. And so, yeah, my brain, I had so much pain for so long that my brain associated cycling only with this really bad pain. So in the end, it took um, Laura Mosley, a, a pain expert, coming in and working with me to go through sort of how to retrain my brain. So that was a really big factor in my rehab was how to change the way my brain thought of cycling. So, um yeah, I mean, that worked. It was a really long road back. And the first couple of seasons, I still had quite a bit of pain, but I knew I could manage it well. Um, and, yeah, now it's, everything's going really well. But it was certainly such a challenging time physically, but also mentally. I was in a really quite a bad place mentally as well, trying to get through this. And I think you mentioned, like, yeah, I'd, I'd wave off my teammates <laughs> to go and race overseas yeah. and watch from afar. And, and that's where I wanted to be. And, and it was just frustrating that I couldn't be there. And, and I had people tell me maybe I should retire, maybe I should give up. We're not sure if it's going to get better. But at the same time, I had 
you know, amazing support from family, from the people I was closely working with, it, with at the AIS that, that really believed in me. So I think now it makes all the results I get even more sweeter and, yeah, I just I hope that they're watching and as proud as what I am of the results I can get now. Well, I really do believe that uh, that helped make you the person you are, that, that, that the, the tenaciousness that you showed through that time has now uh, come to, to, to the front uh, in, <laughs> in your racing. Uh, it's fantastic. Do, do you feel that the younger riders, because we've got a host of youngsters coming through at the moment, um, you think they understand uh, what lies, lies ahead of them and what can lie ahead of them, uh, knowing what you know now? Um, I think it's impossible to know everything. Like I think as a young rider, I had I had no idea. I remember getting on a plane as an 18-year-old and coming over to Europe to race and just like I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Like you're living in a foreign country, you don't speak the language. I mean, I have to say I was quite fortunate. I came over with the Australian Institute of Sport team. So, I mean, I had that incredible support. But, I mean, it's, it's different racing in Europe. It, it's you're racing with you know, 120, 130 or more riders and, and you're trying to figure out how to race and you're trying to figure out how to live in a foreign country. So, yeah, I think I'm a little bit sad that, well, not a little bit, very sad that there's not sort of that Australian uh, women's road team anymore, which, you know, I had the support when I came over. But I think what's important for young riders to understand is that that's not the only way. I think you look at riders like Sarah Roy or Chloe Hosking that, that came over and made a name for themselves without that pathway. So I think that's something that's really important as well to understand that that it may be harder now, but there's still still definitely a way to get over here. And I think, yeah, a lot of a lot of us who are here and are experienced are more than happy to share our knowledge or or give a hand when we can. So uh, we talked uh, just touched on Anamik uh, uh, a few minutes ago, um, but how important to the Mitchell Scott team is uh, Anamik. Yeah, I think she's been she's been really important to the team, and I can say yeah to me personally and in my development. I think uh, she's been here for I think this is her fifth fifth year now on the team, and I can say that I've learned so much from her in that time, and probably particularly the last two three years, I've really. Um, seen a lot more or you know we've become a lot closer and we room together a lot of the the bigger races like the Giro for example so I get to see firsthand exactly what it takes to prepare and and to win a race like that so uh you know she's quite generous with her knowledge as well you can always ask her a question um and I think yeah just having such a champion like that on the team you can't help but admire it and and want to learn from her and I think yeah she has lifted the level overall of the team so on the flip side of that, uh, how, how do you feel that you've uh, helped her develop uh, as a writer? Many ways. You're going to be uh, flipping yeah. here, but I'm sure she has learned from you because you, you don't come much more determined than, than you, Spratty. Yeah, no, I think it's, it probably has gone both ways. I know, um, yeah, I think, I think tactically sometimes, yeah, she, can, she asks me or, or looks to me in races to know what to do. So I think... Yeah, I can, I can often um, give her advice around that. And like I said before, we do room together a lot. Um, I'm always on her to do a bit more stretching when she can because neither of us are, are A-plus students at stretching. So I think, yeah, we always try to motivate, motivate each other and also just share some knowledge. If we find something, oh, hey, have you heard about this? Then, you know, we'll talk to each other about it or, or share an opinion. So I think, yeah, it, it goes both ways for sure. So we're going to take a little break. Uh, and when we return, 
It's all about the challenges ahead. Eyes on Bikes help grow small businesses. We are the world's number one bike marketplace, where buyers and sellers are brought together in a place where a bike is never just a bike. Bike Exchange, where the world buys, sells, learns, and rides. So, uh, Spratty, the season's only days away. Um, uh, we touched earlier, but uh, what's your plan uh, in these early races? Is it something you uh, think you could get straight up, up into the uh, on the podium in one of these? Yeah, like I said, it's going to be interesting. It's almost six months between races for me, so there's so much unknown as there is with everyone. But I do know that throughout this whole um, period of no racing, I've been able to keep quite a good level. Uh, in general, I can come off a, a good training block and race again. Um, well pretty quickly so I'm optimistic about the races coming up I think I have good form as do a few of my teammates as well quite ready to race um, Lucy Kennedy I expect to be good as well as Anamique so I think there are two hilly races and one flat race so certainly eyeing the hillier races to really go for a result um, and yeah it'd be nice to start the season with a good result before we then head to the world tour at Strada Bianca. And that's not that far away either. And that's a, a course that really does suit you. Um, how many times have you done Strada Bianca? I think I've done Strada every year now. So I think we've had five editions and I've been there every yeah. year. Last year I crashed out with a concussion quite early on, but then Anamique um, won, the, won the race. So any thoughts of concern for me were over when I heard that she won. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a, one of those epic races and I think it's going to be different. It's going to be, yeah, 1st of August. So normally at the Strata we're waking up in the pitch black and going to breakfast, walking across the snow to get to Brecky. <laughs> now it'll be probably already 30-something degrees at breakfast time and it's going to be a big dust bowl, hot, stormy race. So I uh, can't wait. So do you know much about uh, what's going to happen in, in the preparations and everything with the, with the pandemic, with the COVID-19? Um, what changes are going to be in place uh, for you at these events? Yeah, so I know like um, we obviously have like the UCI requirements about what they're going to do with at races and um, requirements for testing and, and this kind of thing. But within every team, I think most teams are coming up with their own health protocol um our team's no exception so we have a, a protocol called race safe that will be our health protocol moving forward um so yeah it's going to involve things like um always wearing masks um, we are required to get two covid tests before we're allowed to to go to races and, and they have to be negative so i've just done my second one this morning and, and waiting for the courier to come and pick that up um so yeah th things like that uh Obviously, essentially every team's going to have a bubble. So you're going to once you're in the bubble, that's sort of the safe zone and and minimal contact with with outside the outside people. So for, for my feeling, once we're in the race and at the race, that's sort of um, you know there are so many precautions and hopefully all the teams are taking the, the same measures as us and, and that's going to be quite a safe period. I think the the more unknown is when we're not at races and we're traveling and you know we can't control as much then either. And that's exactly what the, my next point because um, you know, we're about to uh, embark on probably the most uh, uh, amazing few months trying to pack our whole season into uh, uh, about a third of the time. So you're a lot of travelling uh, with the Giro, with all of the classics uh, and a lot of different hotels. It must make you very nervous. Yeah, I still feel a bit nervous. I'm 
some part of me doesn't know if it's maybe too soon, but then again, at some point, you know, we have to coexist with the virus and, and learn to live with it. But um, I think what we can do is really act responsibly and, and that's what we're doing with the team protocols and really taking it seriously. But, I mean, you're right, there's there's that element of risk and I'm not sure will we get through three months of racing. Um, wait, you know, We have to wait and see how, how I think the first races go and, and how the situation evolves. But um, I think certainly... I'm more worried in something like a tour where you're in one hotel and then the next day you're 200 kilometres away in another hotel and then another hotel and then you're on the road and the potential for spreading a virus then is definitely greater. So uh, what's the date of the Giro? So when, when's the... Uh... Um, the Giro for us is before Worlds. So we finished okay. on the, the, the 19th, so the 10th, around the 10th, 11th to the 19th. And the Worlds this year is... Um... A really nice course for you, so uh, that that will be, I'm sure, um, one of your major aims for the year. Yeah. So the world's, um, I'm already smiling thinking about it. Um, that's my <laughs> biggest biggest goal for the for the end of the season. So, yeah, pretty much from mid September until mid October, I have the Giro World Championships and then the Ardennes Classics. That's sort of the period that I'm really targeting to to hopefully be on the podium and winning races in that in that time and the world championships is at the top of that uh i went i've ridden the course a couple of times last year i've been back there again this year i'm going to base myself in that area in august i think so yeah i'm really got all eyes focused on trying to get that rainbow jersey for australia and i think yeah with the team that we can have for that course i think it's a it's a great course for the australian team and I, i'm hopeful that we can have a great great race there it seems strange to be talking about uh, preparing for all those races in that one little area of time, like the Giro and then the Ardennes Classic for the World Championship. Uh, just so they're normally miles apart. It's, it's, I know. I think, quiet. like, yeah, any cycling fan in Australia is just going to be chronically sleep deprived for about three months and then. Yep, then they'll have to try and get on top of it again. Oh, but... yeah, it's going to be amazing. <laughs> there's one in the men, I think there's three races on the one day. I don't know yeah. how we're going to watch all of those. But yeah, anyway, it's going to be crazy. It'll, it'll be great. <laughs> um, women's racing has taken a, um, a really big leap, just I feel in the last two years, uh, as in recognition. People are now switching on. Uh, and uh, maybe it's the social media and that and the way it's all uh, on some different form of uh, watching on, on the on the net. But it seems to have really taken on. What's your thoughts on that in the last couple of years? Yeah, definitely. I think you're on a number of fronts. Like I think the teams are getting a lot more professional. I think if you were involved in women's cycling a few years ago and you tried to come back in now, you would. It's it's not the same now. There's so many things have developed even in the last sort of two, three years, it's hard to compare even between those years. Uh, we're seeing a lot more, like when I first started, there was probably one team I'd even consider going to. Now there's like, you know, eight, eight, ten really, really awesome, great teams. So that in itself is is lending itself to, to better competition. And I think whenever anyone watches a women's race, they they realise how exciting it is. They're, they're shorter races where we're racing from the gun. I think it's it's more unpredictable as well. Um, I think, yeah, we can really put on a good show. So I think people realise that when they get to watch it. And so the demand is is getting greater for being able to watch the racing. And it's it's great to see, you know, more broadcasters wanting to show it as well. And I think you nailed it in that last part because uh, the, the women's racing uh, has become fantastic to watch because it's, be, it, it's been very aggressive. Uh, and uh, the earlier days where it used to be, you know, just a, a bunch riding, um, you know, 
a set tempo sort of thing. Whereas mm. now it, it's fan, fan, fantastic racing. Um, but still, you guys have got a long way. You girls have got a long way to catch up to the guys in the in the the, the prize money and the parity. I mean, not we think. I think it shouldn't shouldn't be equal prize money at the moment. But it's still it's got to be it should be a lot better than what it is. Can you see um, a time in the in the near future where that can get closer and closer together? Uh, I hope so. I don't know if parity is is going to happen in in my lifetime, but it's certainly on the up. And I think, as I said before, I think we're taking it a lot more seriously now. And you can see that even with the teams and, and the team structures. Um, and yeah, I think more sponsors are becoming interested in women's cycling as well. You can you can see that with a number of teams. Um, so that that's really important that people want to support women's cycling. And and yeah, there are more and more races now as well that are giving that equal prize money, which which is great. Um, but for me, yeah, the biggest step is just getting more women cycling on TV so people can see it and then people realise the return on investment if they do invest in women's yeah. cycling as well. Well, the Baycrits was the first race to make equal prize money for, for the ladies and the, and the guys. So there you there go. You go. Another Let's reason I love the Baycrits. <laughs> Lex to the Blackburn, great Baycrits. Give another mention. Um, women's Tour de France. I mean, there was a Women's Tour de France back in the 80s. Uh, it, mm. it was fantastic. <clears throat> and they, they rode at the same time as the Men's Tour de France. They rode, you know, most of the same days, a little bit shorter stages. Uh, it seemed like it was going to just keep going, but it just completely fell away. Can you see a time when it comes back? Um, I'd like to think so, yeah. I think um, I get a bit annoyed when people are lobbying for the Women's Tour de France and say that we want to race the same distance and everything as the men. I don't think if you asked anyone in the peloton now if we want to be racing the same distance as the men, I think the answer would very much be no. Um, I think, you know, we want races the same length that we're doing, 120 to 160 kilometres, really exciting racing. Um, and I think, yeah, we've seen like the course develop a little bit and then it seems to have gone a few steps back again. Just, you know, it looks like it was going to become a tour and now it's a one-day race again. So I'd really love to think that, yeah, we, we could see a women's tour to France. I've heard rumours of them trying to organise one uh, next year or the year after, I think. So I hope I hope that yeah, that's true. Um, but at the same time, it's a bit conflicting because we have other races that are really amazing for women's cycling, like the Tour of Britain, that really do everything for the for the women's peloton and really want to make their race great. So I think it's important, yeah, that we have that balance where we're really supporting the races that want to support us. Um, but at the same time, yeah, the Tour de France is, you know, the one cycling race that probably everyone in the world knows and everyone's heard of. So I do think that it's also important for us to be able to have that platform to race as well, the Tour de France. Yeah, yeah. So I think I know the answer to this question before I ask, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, if there's one victory that you can achieve this season, what would it be? <laughs> yeah, I think you do know the answer. Um, yeah, that the World Championships um, in Switzerland would be the ultimate dream to, to win that race. Um, yeah, I've been third last year, second the year before. I know... The course this year is crazy hard. We have a really, really hard finish circuit with a really hard climb. Um, done a lot of research. We know what the course demands are, so I'm really training heavily towards that. Um, that would be the ultimate goal. Okay. So, look, it's been fantastic catching up. I've got my three questions from uh, the fans from Bike Exchange. Uh, first one comes from Tanner, and it's a simple question. How do you do it? <laughs> I don't know. Um, a lot of hard work, um, 
look, I think I couldn't have this lifestyle or do this if, if number one, I didn't enjoy it and I wasn't passionate about it. So I think that's what enables me to do it is that I, I love cycling. I love everything about it. I've been on the bike since I was nine racing. I've been essentially living in Europe since I was 18. So for me, I love it. I have a lot of passion. I, I love just sitting on the couch and watching a bike race. I don't have to be out there cycling myself. So I think that's how, how I'm able to do it. Um, and yeah, I just love having goals and going towards them and working together with my team as well. That's yeah. What makes it exciting and fun for me. Now, from Edward Jones, he says, what's it like to be a pro? Oh, it's a lot of hard work to be a pro. I think, yeah, I think some people sometimes think we're just on a European vacation over here, but it's certainly, yeah, there's a lot of hard work and a lot of training hours that go into it. Um, but it's it's also really enjoyable um, to be a pro and to be in this supportive environment like Mitchelton Scott. Um, yeah, we're really supported. We have a, a great team. Um, and for me, it's just fun to be a part of a team that's all working together towards one goal and that's something I really love about pro cycling is just yeah being in that that group of really everyone's really motivated to achieve something and you really feel that when you're on the start line or in a race yeah and the final one from navy scrubs um the thing you like most outside cycling uh the thing I like most outside cycling I think is just spending time with my loved ones with my family um exploring nature and being outside uh yeah if i'm not I, I really enjoy just hiking and being uh out in the nature and just appreciating where i am like i think it's amazing that i get to spend so much time here i'm the same in australia i love going back i'm from the blue mountains so i love just being able to appreciate where i live or the opportunities that this life gives me so that's really important to me so, Amanda, it's been absolutely brilliant uh, talking with you, as always. I uh, hope you have a great year. Um, we'll be uh, really looking forward to that world title, but all of the races coming up. Uh, looking forward to catching up uh, uh, back in Oz this summer. Uh, unfortunately, yep. this is the first <laughs> July that I've been in Australia for 22 years, so I'm not enjoying oh, that wow. at all, I can tell you. <laughs> and, uh, Winter. I, I like to be yes, yes. Um, but I'm on the bike, back on the bike myself. Uh, I might need to find one of those special coaches you talked about to help me with the pain that I'm feeling in my cycling. <laughs> but Don't give up. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, it's been wonderful talking with you. Ha have a great uh, season uh, and be safe. Yeah, thanks, John. Awesome to be here.